Hello, and welcome to the Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Heather Lynn Wagner and Donna McLaughlin. We believe that everyone deserves access to opportunities for leadership development and personal growth. That is why we are on a mission to destigmatize difference, identify challenges, improve outcomes, and empower neurodivergent talent with the tools to become the authentic leaders they were meant to be. We want to provide a safe space for the open-minded exploration and celebration of neurodiverse minds. We will spotlight the narratives of neurodivergent leaders, advocates, and experts, and share our own stories about educating, raising, and loving neurodivergent children. We will dive deep to reveal the challenges of being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world and discover the power of shifting from a negative viewpoint that focuses on deficits and brokenness to a more compassionate paradigm that promotes strength, acceptance, and access. We will challenge your concepts about leadership and who or what makes a great leader. We will lean into the discovery of who we are and who we aren't so that we can commit to our truth and become the best version of ourselves we can be. By the end of this venture, you will have the tools and actionable steps to activate your own exciting and individualized leadership plan. Whether you're an aspiring leader, entrepreneur, professional, or parent raising future leaders, we will have something for everyone. Thank you for joining us. Let's dive right in. Today's conversation, I reached out to you and I wanted to bring this conversation because I think it's really important. And just to give our listeners a little background, um, I am running a trauma course and it just so happened that this week I was talking about the physiology of trauma and how the nervous system regulates. And then randomly I had a, another parent of a neurodivergent child who I'm friends with texted me and asked me, has your child ever had an FBA functional behavior assessment? Basically for the listeners, a functional behavior assessment is where they spent, and Donna, you could probably do a better job explaining it, but here's my understanding of it. They have a set amount of time. They observe and record the child's behaviors. They look at the environment and the precursors to the behavior and how everything's going. And they try to figure out like why this child is expressing these particular behaviors so that they can introduce interventions to either correct the behavior, prevent the behavior, or give tools or strategies so that the child can navigate the behavior in a more appropriate, adaptive, or compliant manner. Did I do a good job explaining Correct. You did a really good job of that. And it's all based on an ABC model. So A stands for antecedent. What was the motivation or the um, occurrence that happened right before the behavior? So when you can identify that, you can start to recognize patterns in what is triggering a child and making them go into the B part, which is the behavior. And then you watch that. You kind of take notes on what are the behaviors when that antecedent comes into effect. So for example, one antecedent might be every time it's time to go from recess to math class, Johnny 
goes under the table and starts throwing a temper tantrum. So the antecedent is transitioning. Johnny does not want to transition between a preferred activity and a non-preferred activity. So he acts out and he goes under the table and he starts throwing a tantrum because he doesn't want to leave recess. So then the C part is the consequence. So it's what are you going to do? What are you going to build in as an actionable consequence for the behavior that's being exhibited. And so why that brings up red flags for a lot of people is it's very punitive and negative in nature. What it's indicating is if you're Mm non-compliant, you will get punished. And so it makes parents feel icky because they're like, wait a minute, I don't know if I want my kid to be punished for that. He's just doing something normal, right? He just doesn't want to leave recess. And so aren't there better ways to transition. So you just gave a great example. And here is what my complaint, not just the punitive piece, because I don't believe in punitive based behavior management. We can talk about that down the road. We actually have some great guests on the roster coming up who are going to talk about that in deeper. So look for those upcoming episodes. But the example you gave was perfect because that is a superficial way to analyze behavior. Right. When we look at behavior as biology, here's what I see about this child. I was just out on the playground, meaning I am stimulated I am hyper. I am excited. My nervous system is, and my sensory system are in an activation. We always think of like activations as negative things, but activations can also be positive things. Absolutely. Right. Basically my zone of regulation and and a lot of people who are listening might know the zones of regulation model but my regulation is outside of my window of tolerance. And so my nervous system is like excited, right? So Johnny, I'm excited or, oh, it's time to end recess. I now have to go to math class. I know that math is really hard and frustrating for me. I know I don't feel good about myself when I do math. I know that I get in trouble a lot in math because my nervous system is regulated and I'm supposed to be sitting with whole body listening in the classroom and be compliant, but I can't do that because my biology isn't letting me. Absolutely. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go hide under the table because I'm scared and I'm upset and I'm nervous and I'm anxious about going to math class. Well, and I I think what I want to add here before we get a little bit deeper is the fact that behavior is typically not a choice. It's a symptom or an involuntary response to an emotional trigger or some sort of event that is happening that is outside of our control. So a lot of times as a teacher, when I was in school um, in a classroom, I would have a you know, a student that was dysregulating and maybe they were acting out verbally toward me. And in the beginning of my teaching career, 
I took that very personally. I got very activated myself. I dysregulated very easily. And that doesn't mean that I like yelled back at them or got in a conflict cycle, but I would really get emotionally triggered by a student that was verbally abusing me because I I thought they were actually abusing me, right? Personally. And so then I started to learn and get training on activation and behavioral management and from a from a biology standpoint and not from, right, not from a compliance standpoint or a punitive standpoint. And I started to recognize that when the child has gotten to the point where they're verbally acting out, it's already beyond anything that they can control. So you really have to be able to take those five steps back and say, I need to know what Johnny's triggers are so that when I recognize and understand him as a human, I know that transitioning from recess to math is going to be hard for Johnny. So I'm going to build in some steps to eat more easily transition him and get his limbic system untriggered right? so that he can calm himself down. And it's not just, okay, it's time for, to go from recess to math. Right. It's, Hey, Johnny, could you be the line leader and get everybody lined up because it gives him some autonomy and it makes him feel good about himself and it's giving him some opportunity. So, you know, it's, it's really about those symptoms of behavior that you have to start recognizing rather than taking the behaviors and saying, this is just Johnny being non, this is Johnny being naughty. He's throwing a tantrum. So this is, this was what I taught this week in the trauma class. And I I teach in a whole, in another world, I teach trauma informed leadership and trauma-informed coaching. But let's talk about why the word I'm using the word trauma. And let's talk about what you just brought up was the limbic system, right? So I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible for the podcast purposes. Our nervous system has basically two kind of gears. We've got calm, present, our front part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex, or the CEO of the brain as one of our former guests referred to it, or all of our executive functioning, higher level thinking, self-reflection, making good decisions. All of that stuff is in that front part of the brain. It's the, the youngest part of our developed brain, right? When we are calm and present and inside of what's called our window of tolerance, that's the part of our nervous system that's activated. The other lane of our nervous system is that fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system where it shuts down the prefrontal cortex. Because if you think about evolution, if I'm standing, you know, and in a being about to be attacked by a saber toothed tiger, I don't want to sit down and say, now, what do I really think should be the best solution to this problem? No, it's fight or flight. How do I survive? Right. So here we are in a modern day society. We live in environments that are constantly stimulating us, triggering us. We have all these different variables and we have that window of tolerance. And what happens when we get outside of it, that prefrontal cortex with all that higher level thinking shuts down, that old reptilian brain that's all about survival Gets right, which active. is the amygdala, and that's your downstairs brain, your survival right. brain. Yep. The, the amygdala says we're in danger, and then that fight or flight kicks in. That that reptilian brain kicks in. So this is why you said behavior becomes an automatic response. This is we don't we're not choosing it. We're responding, right? Right. So 
It's built into our biology because it was it was formed in us during time periods in our evolution where we had to survive and make quick decisions based on danger or circumstances to which we had to have quick ability to make decisions. So when you have and that's called the limbic shift, we shift from grounded, higher level, thoughtful, self-awareness thinking into I need to survive. What do I need to do to survive? Now, for some people, they have patterns of survival that look like aggression. Right. It looks like anger. It looks like hitting. It looks like fighting. It looks like screaming. I happen to have an anger-based survival strategy. Absolutely. Other people have shut down. They become quiet. They go internal. Right. That's mine. Okay. So I'm a withdrawer. Avoider withdrawer. Avoider right. withdrawer. I'm an yeah. attacker fighter. Yep. Nothing's wrong with either strategy. Actually, both have worked well in our lives. They're just, sure. and there can be social consequences. There can be relational consequences, but it's our biology responding. And what we do in our society is we pathologize normal biological responses. If our child sat down to dinner, took a bite of their spaghetti and their digestive juices started excreting in their stomach, we would not punish them for that. But when our child comes home from the playground and we want them to sit down and do homework and they start jumping on the couch, we start punishing and getting angry and irritated with a metabolic behavior response they're having because their nervous system is activated. So when I was Going back to my friend who texted me, I said, I don't know why we have to pathologize your child's behavior. He hit. What happened? Why is he hitting? Has anyone talked to him about it? Turns out there's a bully in the class. That okay. makes sense, right? Finding out that motivator is critical right. to understanding the behavior. Right. And so I think for me, And and it's funny because just to tie it into what I also brought to you, and I was like, we need to have this conversation. I'm in a lot of these moms or parents groups for parents of neurodivergent children and parents of autistic children. And this mom had done a post about their four-year-old's behavior and tantruming and aggression. And so here we have a four-year-old. So here's layers, right? We have a four-year-old who has a developmentally where they are, all four-year-olds have dysregulated tantrum. I mean, your four-year-old cries because they can't eat screws for dinner sometimes. And you're like, I don't know what's going on, right? Because they don't have higher level. Developmentally, they're just not there. So there's that. You're just a four-year-old being a four-year-old. But then on top of it, you're a neurodivergent four-year-old. So you have this whole other sensory whatever. So the question she posed to the group was, I don't know what to do with my child's aggressive behaviors. I'm having a hard time. And I totally understand that. I have had dog bones thrown at my head. I have been bit and scratched. And I know you've experienced all kinds of aggression and it's hard, right? Yes, it is. But the response, one of the responses that came up was, well, you need to distinguish if this is a tantrum or if it's a meltdown. And in the neurodivergent world, there's this other layer of sensory issues, which are referred to as meltdowns. 
And it's basically your, again, it goes back to the nervous system, but the nervous system in the brain cannot integrate a sensory experience, whether it's an overstimulation and understimulation. And when you get to that certain point, it's like the train has left the station. So the response was you need to determine which one it is, a tantrum or a meltdown. And if it's a tantrum, you need to ignore it. And my heart broke. Right. Absolutely. Because they're all meltdowns. They're all dysregulated states where a child needs a regulated parent. And this is what the problem is, right? Well, and that's where I kind of want to start interjecting right now, because what my brain says is we're so used to putting labels on things. So saying temper tantrum or meltdown even kind of activates me a little bit because now what I'm thinking is why are you trying to label something as negative when you should be saying this is a dysregulated response that came from something that caused this person to be triggered and and react this way. It kicked them into a survival mode. So a lot of times, like when we were just describing and you said you have sometimes an aggressive response and I have sometimes an avoidance or withdrawal response, those in and of itself are dysregulated responses, right? right? So if we start to think about We are the adult in the situation. They are the child in the situation. And if we as the adult cannot even control our own regulatory system in response to our child's behavior, then how are we asking them either developmentally or just, you know, as a human to be able to respond to things when they're feeling very out of control or afraid or whatever it is that they're experiencing. So, no, and that's the beautiful thing. So the trauma training and certifications I got, there's, I got it. I want to give credit to the Arizona Institute of Trauma and the professor trainer, I don't know what to call him, um, who taught me, he used this amazing metaphor talking about this. And he, he says, as a society, we have pathologized human behavior instead of looking at behavior as biology and understanding it's just a normal metabolic response that we cannot control any more than we can control our respiratory or our digestive systems, right? Um, but the metaphor and, and what he says is very often what you have and, and, and it, it, sorry, it gets reinforced in our education systems. It gets reinforced in our judicial systems. It gets reinforced in all of in, as our parenting systems is everything's about compliance and control. Right. So what he says is what the problem really is, is we have dysregulated adults that are annoyed and frustrated with the normal biological patterns and behaviors. And he acknowledges, are they inconvenient? Yes. Are they frustrating? Yes. Do they have sometimes social consequences and relational consequences? Yes. If I scream at somebody from my biologically anger response, it's going to have an impact, but it doesn't make my yelling wrong or I'm not bad. And yet we shame and label and you know, all these things to people and their behavior. It's the birth of restorative justice programs, right? Because we started to take a view of compassionate accountability for our actions or blameless discernment of our responses rather than 
looking at it from a punitive aspect. Absolutely. So the metaphor he gave, sorry, it was a long-winded <laughs> answer to where I'm trying to take us, was he gave, and I love this, and I, I'm aging myself a little bit here, but he gives the example of um, the Hulk and Bruce Banner. So he says the Hulk is our dysregulated, sympathetic nervous system activated, activated. And Bruce Banner is our regulated, grounded, parasympathetic. And so what he says is two Hulks can't make a Bruce Banner. That's right. But a Bruce Banner can co-regulate a Hulk and bring them back down to a regulated state. Yeah. And I love that you're saying that because I used to describe that to parents when I was teaching. I used to say, you need to not ramp up to your child's dysregulation. You need to bring them down to your regulation. So it was an easy way for parents to understand that if I raise my voice and get all activated, I'm getting into a conflict cycle. And now all my child is going to recognize as a coping strategy is every time you're out of control and you don't feel good, you raise your voice, you, your body posture changes, you get aggressive, you, right. So you're actually, right. You actually model for them, right. Just, you know, inappropriate responses. Maladaptive. This is correct. Maladaptive behavior responses. And that is all it is. And you learned it from other people who have maladaptive responses. And And now I'm going to be real because I'm also going to say, it sounds really philosophical and theoretical (laughs) when you're saying stuff like that. But when you're an actual parent and your kids kick you in the shins and throwing dog bones at your head. Yeah. It's not so easy to be sitting no. there thinking from a theoretical standpoint. Oh, now right. what should I, I should be regulating my child to my regulation. Right. I mean, it's not that simple. So it's I don't want to put it across and act like, well, you, no. you people should just know how to do this. Right. It took me years and years and years of practice and education in right. order to get good at this and not take it personal. And believe me still to this day, there are times where even my own children, my family members or oh, students yeah. will trigger me right and activate my my nervous system because they're saying something or acting in a certain way it's just as you practice you build new neural pathways in your brain that help you to get better at having different responses than you normally would have to those types of triggers so just so that all the audience realizes we're not trying to say you just have to do this it's not about that No, it's not. But what the key is to have the education and the awareness and the understanding. So now, and and like, look, this is all a growth edge for me. Like COVID is what really opened my eyes to all of this, right? Because as I'm home with a dysregulated child trying to do online learning and I'm at my wits end because I'm seven months pregnant and I have my, and in that window of tolerance, right? Like it changes day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. It depends on how much, how much sleep have you had? What a kind of stress are you under? Right. Did you eat? We call that name it to tame it, right? Yeah. So when you literally can make an assessment of your own emotional state before you right. engage in a circumstance or an event that's right. happening around you, you have to look inside of yourself and say, am I hungry? Am I um, tired, hungry, right? angry, the halt. Tired, Ang- am I angry? Right. And so then you have to back off of some of that and give yourself some mindfulness, um, time so that you can really get yourself regulated before you respond 
to that particular event that's going on. And it's again, easier said than done, right. but the more you practice that, the better the result comes. And I call those small wins. Yeah. The worst thing that can happen is, is if you try to do what we're saying to do and it gets worse, <laughs> then you just know that you haven't practiced enough or that you're, you know, right. That you need a little bit more time to figure out what your cues are and how right. long it's going to take for you to regulate. And then, and there are times where you're really regulated and your kid takes a very long time to oh, regulate. Yeah. So oh, it's not yeah. something that happens in 30 seconds either, just because you approach them with a calm and soft voice. No, there's a couple things I want to touch on to kind of round out the conversation, which is like, um, Okay, great. So now what, Heather? Like, Donna, what do we do with this awareness? Well, there's putting into practices. Like, I don't look at my son jumping up and down on the couch now. I mean, yes, there is a human part of me that's like, oh, my God, why do you got to do that? Um, but I'm like, okay, we have a dysregulated nervous system. And we don't, it's like not always, especially for neurodivergent people, it's not always I need a calm, relaxing space. Right. Right. Sometimes they need to like ramp up a little bit. So do we need a trampoline? What do we need? And so I think this is where we can start to, and it's all practice. There's no like science and magic. Yeah, it's trial and error. Trial and error. I have, I asked my child, and it's funny because my husband's used this at times at work and has used it in different places. And people are like, how did you handle that? And he's like, I asked this question my wife taught me, which is, what do you need? What do you need right now? <laughs> what do you yes. need right now? Yep. So I'll yep. ask my son, what do you need right now? Do you need to jump on a trampoline or do you need mommy to give you big hugs? Because proprioceptively, sometimes he needs pressure for his body to integrate, right? Okay. Yes. Mommy can give you big bear hugs and I'll give him massages. I even have a massage table and he'll like, I want the massage table. He sees me gets dysregulated. Yes. And he'll go, mommy, remember when you take 10 deep breaths, <laughs> it usually goes your way. And I'm like, Okay, you know, so it it can be breathing, it can be mindfulness, it can be presence based, but it can be jumping on a trampoline, sure. and you just have to figure it out and navigate it. But it's how do I down regulate my nervous system, so that I can process, so that I can get that prefrontal cortex online, and I can make better decisions. But I think the like practice that we try to work with, which is kind of our model of self-awareness, authenticity, action, you know, accountability and advocacy is pause. Yes. Check in with yourself, become aware. What am I feeling right now? Oh, I'm feeling really frustrated because I've had a long day and I feel tired and I feel hungry and it's okay for me to feel all of those things. I don't want to respond from them. Well, and it's interesting because when I took a, a professional development at my school when I was a couple of years ago, and we, they were talking about when a teacher has an incident in a classroom and they're getting ready to write a referral from a student. So say, you know, um, Susie came in late. And when you addressed her, when she came in and said, you know, why were you late? Do you have a pass? She said, you know, stuff it, lady. I don't have to answer to you or whatever and sat down. So now immediately 
typically a teacher will go to that's disrespect or insubordination, whatever, you know, even our referral forms in schools are set up to pathologize and place negative punitive descriptions on behaviors. And so we have to check one of those boxes in order to prove to the administrator and the parent that we should assign a punishment to the child because that's just how the system works. And so we had this training that was very um, eye-opening and awakening for me where they talked about VDPs or vulnerable decision points. And they said, take at least 30 minutes before you write a referral to do this personal assessment of where you're at in a regulatory manner, right? So am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I tired? Am I activated? Am I disappointed? Do I feel disrespected? And reevaluate and even go to a colleague and describe the situation and have the colleague give you some feedback about, well, was that really her yelling at you? Or was that her being embarrassed? Because when she walked in the classroom, you confronted her in front of her peers. And in order for her not to look bad or to save face, as we call it, right, to get up her street cred, right, she reacted out at you because she didn't want it to sound like you were being a parental figure, an authority figure to her, and she was just kowtowing, right? So there's lots of different things and ways that you can process through that behavior in a 30-minute time period and even get some feedback from somebody else. So I do recommend that to parents as well. Like it can't always happen. Like in the middle of the grocery store, you can't confer with another parent. But by the same token, if you have the ability to take that few minutes to just evaluate, okay, I'm going to count to 10 or I'm going to do a mindfulness breathing exercise or I'm going to do something to stop my emotions from driving my response and get my reason to drive my response, how will I react differently? Well, and my practice became walking the dog. Literally, just, sometimes you just have to exit the situation. You know what? I'm just going to go walk the dog. And my child would be in a safe experience, but being outside, yes, physical movement and activity, having some space, some space to be proactive versus reactive. And I have all the tools, the mental fitness tools that we teach. I have access to coaching tools. I really want to like look at what's going on here and realize what am I actually reacting to? And that self-awareness, cultivating the self-awareness and being really authentic and honest with yourself about, is this really bothering me or do I feel disrespected? And disrespect is something from my past and my childhood that's just like a trigger for me. And one of the things that I like to say too, is you wouldn't go to paint the walls in your house with just a paintbrush and not a place to put the paint and a can of paint and a a towel to put down on the floor. So you wouldn't go with one or two tools. You would know that you had to gather an arsenal full of tools that are necessary to approach that particular task. And this is no different. There's no shame in not knowing, like if you've never painted a room before, you might have to watch a YouTube video or you might have to go to somebody who's painted before and say, what do I need? What are the best tools to use? And that's really what we're saying to parents. It's not a shame game, right? It's you just might not know the tools that you need in those situations in order to effectively regulate yourself and then therefore regulate and model for your, for your child. Well, and to kind of put a pin on the conversation and bring it back to my friend who texted me, um, about the FBA, 
you know, the thing with that particular instance is our neurodivergent children already have high sensory needs. We're sending them into sometimes neurotypical schools, sometimes not, but the pressure on all kids to perform and mask and on top of it, you know, they have to be compliant and there's all these, like, there's just so much going on that's already taking the bandwidth that they have to regulate themselves. And then they go into an environment where there's a bully and they get pushed out of their zone of regulation the teachers are frustrated or upset or they get dysregulated because now they're trying to manage a class, but we have someone who's hitting and I'm not condoning hitting. Right. But I just think that when we can normalize. Well, it's about protocols too. remember. So sometimes it's not even the teacher reacting or dysregulating. It's this is my expectation as an educator in a classroom. My, my rules of my school say zero tolerance for bullying. Right. And zero tolerance for violence. So these are my prescripted responses to that behavior. And I don't get to take into consideration that Johnny is neurodivergent and the bully is neurotypical, right? So I'm not factoring in any of those things in order to keep it even Steven and to follow the rules of the school that are imposed on me as an educator. I must respond to this event in these three ways, because that's what's in our code of conduct or whatever. And that's where I think we have to really start having conversations as parents, as educators, you know, throughout all of this, as even students themselves, right, Right. is redesigning the approach to what goes on inside of these walls, these institutions, so that people are not viewing behavior as acting out or non-compliance or insubordination or disrespect, but they're viewing it as we need to have a particular specialized course or program or skill-based class that teaches these kids what they need to know in order to react differently in those same circumstances. Because all this is, is most times generational or environmentally learned behavior that a child doesn't just just come into the world knowing how to act. So they watch and they absorb and they're a sponge and they see what's going on around them. And if they see other peers or other adults that react that way in circumstances of frustration, they'll model and, and mimic it. So there's a lot to it and it's not that easy, but. Well, and to your point, the education system, the classroom management systems are not at the forefront of neuroscience and behavior management and performance management. They're not hypersympathetic to neurodivergence. That's for sure. And they're geared toward compliance and not engagement. This is a system that was designed around, we need you to sit down in a factory and screw a screw and not ask questions and not be a free thinker. And that's a whole nother podcast. Right. Right. But back to my, to my friend, who's got an FBA coming, it's if you understand that your child's nervous system is dysregulated and they're under a lot of pressure and now they're being confronted with a bully and yes, hitting is not appropriate. It's a maladaptive behavior response. 
But if you can advocate for your child and say, hey, rather than looking at this, like you said, ABC, FBA model, like fine, do the FBA and gather the data. But when we look at the solutions, we need to factor in that this child's biology is responding to a variety of factors. It's not just Johnny has to come off the playground and he wants to keep playing. It's Johnny's got to come off the playground and go to math. And there's all these other factors on board. And I get it. Like some teachers and some people don't have the bandwidth for that. But as parents, my passion, and I obviously am speaking, (laughs) I have a little activation over here myself because I have my own childhood stuff around compliance in the classroom. I want my parents, I want our listeners, I want everyone. That's why I teach trauma-informed stuff. I want everyone to understand what it is we're dealing with so we can better advocate and we can help co-regulate and we can have more grounded. It's like, let's take the shame and the punishment and the punitive and all of that, that trauma away. And empower parents to understand that this is not about, you know, no parent wants to get the phone call that Tommy was bad in school today. I mean, that's the worst call that you can get as a parent. There's all kinds of shame that comes up for that. There's all kinds of feelings that are negative around getting that phone call from school. But if we start recognizing that sometimes schools are ill-equipped to handle Tommy's behaviors, or they might be taking an approach that is not um, serving Tommy's needs. So it then becomes a conversation and not a reactive response. So now we're being proactive to dealing with Tommy's individual issues rather than reactive to his individual issues. We have regulated adults looking at the whole picture and the whole child and coming up with solutions that support them. So What's great is we have two guests coming up down the pipe here. We have one, she's really well known online as a behavior management specialist. And she talks about all the ways to actually put in love oriented, relational oriented behavior management tools in the classroom. And so amazing. like to talk with her. And then we also have another guest coming who is a therapist and a neurodivergent woman herself. And we are going to be diving further into um, how we pathologize neurodivergence and neurodivergent traits. And so I think those are both going to be conversations that take this one kind of to the next level because there's it's such a rich conversation. There's so much we could talk about. Well, there's so much intersectionality between all of it in every single way. So thank you, Donna, for jumping on to record this. I was super passionate when I called you yesterday and said, we need to do this podcast because I see so many parents who just need to hear this. And I know you helped me understand this and really integrate it when I was struggling over COVID to to cope and manage. And so I just want to pay it forward. So thanks so much for having the conversation. Of course. And definitely, you know, finding that accountability buddy when stuff is going on, that's how you and I partnered. And I think that I would, I would leave that as a, as a big take takeaway for parents, yeah, so find your tribe, find your people and, yeah. and have them as accountability buddies and start implementing some of these tools and strategies um, yeah. with an accountability buddy so that you can kind of talk about it and see where your frustrations are and those types of things. No effective routine or habit gets established in isolation. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. 
To register for an upcoming leadership workshop or to learn more about our one-to-one coaching and development programs, you can visit us at www.neurodivergentleader.com or follow us on Instagram at neurodivergentleader and check for the links in the bio. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.